following program is paid programming. The views expressed on the following program are those of its hosts and participants, and nowhere reflect those of the ownership, staff, or advertisers of WNRI. Well, it's one for the money, two for the show, three to get ready, now go don't you? Well, welcome once again to Dunn's Deal. I'm Dunn, and I do the dealing around here, and I deal them fairly. So, we're going to be talking about the news of the week. And did you hear the disclaimer that goes before this? Can you... Can you believe that, that people would actually disavow what I might have to say? <laughs> like my introduction, Joe Biden is not the president. He's the thief-in-chief. He's the cellar-dweller, the king of crappers, and he's Dementia Don. And, you know, I guess I'm going to have a theme in this uh, show today. And that theme would be, who the hell are you to tell me what to do? You know? Or, actually, the second part would be, you actually believe the government is here to help? (laughs) Oh, boy. So, it's going to be a fun one tonight. So, I have a little cut. I've got to play because what I want to do is I want to uh, want to go across the pond over to Ukraine. And uh, this is the first part of who the hell do you think you are? And this is um, Zelensky, Volodymyr Zelensky, talking about what the United States needs to do, what our responsibilities are. You know, the the president of Ukraine, a country of only about 40 million people, (laughs) is going to tell the United States what to do? Well, he's been doing that for about a year now. You see, when he goes to Congress, everybody stands up and they're clapping, you know, like barking seals and and applauding him. People from both sides of the aisle are comparing him to Churchill. And it's like... Really? Can you be that stupid? But anyhow, let me get started with Volodymyr Zelensky, the great. You have to add that in. And that uh, percentage of uh, Americans, as uh, you've mentioned, is increasing. Uh, I can tell them only one thing. If they do not change their opinion, if they do not understand us, if they do not support... Basically, he's talking about people like me that refuse to support this war. Uh, It's none of our business. We shouldn't be there. And uh, he doesn't like it that there's people like me that that disagree with his point of view. But anyhow, let me get started with this. This is going to be about two and a half minutes, so I shouldn't be cutting into it too many times. But I realize I didn't set it up well. So here you go. And that uh, percentage of uh, Americans, as uh, you've mentioned, is increasing. Uh, I can tell them only one thing. If they do not change their opinion, If they do not understand us, if they do not support Ukraine, they will uh, lose NATO, they will lose uh, the clout of the United States, they will lose the leadership position that they are joining the world, uh, that they are joined for a very fair reason, and they will lose the support of the country with 40 millions of population, with millions of children. Are American children any different? 
different than ours? Don't Americans enjoy the, the same things uh, as we do? I don't think we're that different. And uh, I'm actually very happy that we have bipartisan support, but uh, we keep hearing those messages from time to time and they're dangerous. Uh, there are political leaders that are elected by people and if this issue is raised, uh, those political leaders need to be responsible and cautious because people are looking at them. Who wants a third world war? Would anyone uh, risk? Would anyone be willing to accept that risk? The U.S. is never going to give up on the NATO member states. If it happens so that Ukraine, due to various opinions and weakening and depleting of assistance, uh, uh, loses, Russia is going to enter Baltic states, NATO member states, and then the U.S. will have to send their sons and daughters exactly the same way as we are sending their sons and daughters to war, and they will have to fight because it's uh, nature that we're talking about, and they will be dying, God forbid, because it's a horrible thing. Okay. <clears throat> There are so many things in there that I disagree with. Number one, he is the one that, that almost got World War III started. Remember when those two missiles went, uh, went into, into Poland uh, a couple months ago? And they, they killed some farmers there. Not very many, but they killed some farmers. And he was shouting that, that Russia has attacked NATO. That it's time for NATO to rise up and get in the battle and, and fight against the Russians. Fight the Russians. Get up there. Get into the war. Turns out that they were Ukrainian missiles that uh, landed in Poland. But uh, Zelensky wanted to take that opportunity to try to push NATO into the war, which would have unleashed World War III. So it's Zelensky that's pounding the, the drums of war. It's Zelensky that wants to, to keep sending his uh, troops into, um, into suicidal missions. And I've got a couple of pieces here about Bakhmut. Actually, one piece. That's a city that... that uh, the Ukrainians had recaptured that the Russians had left uh, from, it depends on which side you look at it from. Either the Russians left Bakhmut because it was in an indefensible position or, you know, the, the Ukrainians say that they drove the Russians out. But the Wagner Group is now surrounding Bakhmut. And there's like one small sliver of, of uh, area to be able to get the, the uh, Ukrainian troops out of there or I guess they'll be slaughtered or they'll be starved into submission or to death. Zelensky is in no position to be making demands from us. And he would have lost, he would have negotiated for peace a long time ago. If it wasn't for the United States and Britain pushing him into war uh, last year. Yep, United States and Britain, they want this war. And they pushed Zelensky into taking a hard line. And they've, we have given him tons and tons of money and equipment to fight this war. If, if he didn't have all that money and armed support... There'd be no, uh, there'd be no war right now. Ukrainian people wouldn't be dying. Ukrainian cities would not be getting demolished the way that they are. So it's Zelensky that's killing his country off, which has been a part of Russia since uh, Catherine the Great, I don't know, back around... Oh, the start of this country back in the late, 
late 1700s. And um, that's Russian territory. It always has been. And from the looks of things, it always will be. But this is interesting, this uh, piece here about Bakhmut. Let's see. Um, the the leader of the, the Wagner group, that would be the, the Russian uh, paramilitary uh, see, unit. Let's see. Uh, Wagner Group is heavily involved in fighting to capture the eastern city of Bakhmut and its head, Yevgeny uh, Prigozhin. Let's just call him Prig. Said at at this point, the strategic city on the Tontask Oblast is practically surrounded. Prig issued a video message to Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky on Friday. Donned in military fatigues, he urged for the order to be given for Ukrainian forces to retreat in order to save soldiers' lives. Units of the private military company Wagner have practically surrounded Bakhmut, and only one route out is left. The pincers are closing. It's uh, really kind of interesting that that this Russian guy uh, sends a message to Zelensky to tell him, you, you might want to get your guys out of there. You know, we just, that's a nice army you have there. <laughs> I guess it should be a, a Russian accent. We don't want to destroy your whole army. <laughs> Leave now. Um, and guess what? Zelensky is planning on withdrawing. As we reported earlier this week, Zelensky and his top aides have lately issued statements appearing to pave the way for a strategic withdrawal. Or in reality, a retreat. <laughs> As better armed and numerically superior Russian forces have the city almost completely encircled. So, are you hearing that on uh, ABC, NBC, uh, CBS, MSNBC, uh, CNN, at all, at all? Not even Fox will give you the, the true lowdown on it that Russia is just going to outnumber the Ukrainian forces, they've got more people, more soldiers, more guns, more artillery, more tanks, and they're going to crush the Ukrainians. I mean, the Ukrainians could come to the peace table, um, but Russia is just going to take back its territory. But the United States and the UN don't want that. Here's another piece. NBC reporter goes to Crimea, shocks viewers by telling the truth. This is from Zero Hedge. That other article, I think it was, was that an AP article? Uh, oh, that was Zero Hedge as well. <laughs> yeah, I don't get the real news from AP. <laughs> That's going to be another part of my theme tonight. You don't trust the government and you don't trust the, the government uh, propagandists like AP or ABC, CBS, CNN, uh, NBC, et al., et al. So anyhow, not long ago, these were denounced as Putin talking points, said David Sachs. Mainstream media correspondents for major uh, U.S. networks rarely, if ever, report from inside uh, Crimea and certainly are nowhere near Russian-held territory in eastern Ukraine. However, this week, NBC News uh, chief international correspondent Keir Simmons, who uh, sounds very British to me, but he's working with... Uh, uh, no, a, an American outfit. He went to Sevizpol, which is in Crimea, surrounded by a significant military presence given it is home to the Russian Navy's Black Sea Fleet. 
and in a live segment admitted that it's not at all realistic Zelensky and Ukrainian forces can ever hope to take Crimea. The bottom line uh, is that the eastern part of Ukraine is going to become Russian, if not the whole country itself. Crimea, which is a peninsula right down at the bottom of Ukraine in the Black Sea, which has very good uh, uh, ports there, and home to Russia's navy. Uh, It's a warm water port. It doesn't freeze over in the winter the way that that, uh, other ports up on the North Sea can. It's very important to Russia. Let's see. This is especially true as the people there view themselves as Russians. Simon's noted, this is the closest that any U.S. news crew has got to the Russian Black Sea Fleet in many years. If you watch it, you'll see, you know, like five, six, seven uh, ships in the background. You know, in the distance, you can't really make out what type of ships they are, you know. Russia's not going to allow somebody from the West to see exactly, you know, are they frigates, are are they aircraft carriers, you know. Uh, but it, they, they were shown in the background. Okay. Um, he explained that Vladimir Putin will be determined to to defend that port, to not have it taken away from him. He may pretty he may well do pretty much anything to try to achieve that. It's a very dangerous standoff. It's hard to see how you reach negotiation over that. There's a military absolute. There's military absolutely everywhere. It's a military town. Oh. And here comes another. Who the hell do you think you are? When, for example, Victoria Nuland, who is someone that works in Washington, she's the assistant secretary of state. um, And, um, you know, she's been in the State Department for years and years and years. Basically, she runs the State Department for Ukraine. It's not, uh, who's the guy that's, uh, that's up front? Not Jake Tapper. Um, uh, Sullivan. Uh, I, I forget the little dweebs that they get up there. But this is Victoria Nuland. When, for example, Victoria Nuland talks about that at the very least we, the U.S., want Crimea to be demilitarized. I find myself standing there and wondering, how on earth does that happen? Yeah. Who the hell are you, Victoria Nuland? You want it demilitarized? How is that going to happen? You would have to send U.S. troops in there. We'd have to bomb each and every one of those uh, ships there, which would mean they'd be shooting back at us. That would mean a real, you know, war. A, 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 it would be World War Three. I mean, it is a real war now. But Victoria Nuland is talking about going into World War III because there's no way Ukraine is going to take Crimea. They're being chased out of Bakhmut now. They're going to be chased back to the Dnepr River, which splits Ukraine into, you know, one, one third of Ukraine is east of it. Like two thirds are to the west of the Dnepr River. Think of it like the Mississippi. Or the Danube, a more famous river that that uh, people know about. Let's see. So, it's Russian territory. And it's going to stay Russian territory. But this is not Russia, according to Kiev. It's Western allies and the United Nations. Again, who the hell are you? <laughs> You people are going to determine what what is Russia. Um, Russia is there. <laughs> They've got their military there. They've got their navy there. 
The only way you change that is by going into World War Three. It was annexed by the Kremlin in 2014, except that it's been part of Russia since 1790s. Hmm. It's just with the breakup of oh of the Soviet Union that that it was no longer Russian territory. Which brings me to another point that that was on that that tape of uh, Zelensky. He said that that. We must fight in uh, Ukraine because if we don't, we'll lose NATO. Um, NATO should have ended in 1991 when the Soviet Union fell apart. But it's because NATO has been growing and expanding that uh, Russia has seen that as a threat, an existential threat to them. NATO pushed Russia into this war. But it's probably going to be a long, slow, ugly slog, and Russia is going to come out victorious, and NATO will probably fall apart. <laughs> it already has, because if, if Russia wins, and it's very possible that, it, that, that they could, NATO is going to look very weak, and the United States destroyed the the gas pipeline, the Nord Stream 1 and 2, going into Germany. We destroyed civilian uh, structure that they need to heat their houses and to be able to have energy for their businesses. We committed an act of war against Germany by destroying that, that pipeline in the North Sea. So... If Russia wins this thing and the dogs of war get get pulled back, um, is Germany going to want to continue to be in a, an organization where the chief member of that organization stabbed them right in the back? Destroyed its economy. Could cause... You know, many, many civilians to die in in the winter, freeze to death. Um, there's going to be a lot of rethinking going on. Yeah. But we got more stuff to get into. I just wanted to bring that out. And I want to ask Zelensky, who the hell do you think you are demanding that we fight your war for you? And... I want to ask Victoria Nuland, who the hell do you think you are demanding that the United States get involved in World War III? Both of you can go to hell as far as I'm concerned. So, <laughs> yeah, let's play this McCartney song. The United States of Empire by James Dunn shows how the U.S. became a worldwide empire. It looks at the entry of the U.S. into both world wars. George Washington had warned us about entangling ourselves in European wars. Before World War I, the United States was not concerned with foreign conflicts. In World War I, we changed the balance of power in Europe. We went in to save the world for democracy. We expelled the German Kaiser and imposed our own idea of what Germany should look like. Propaganda painted the Kaiser as the evil Hun that was destroying civilization. So when the true barbarian rose to power, Hitler, how could we avoid being drawn in again? We saved Great Britain. Britain needed us again in World War II to save their bacon. We bought the hog. Now we are the empire. The book, The United States of Empire, in paperback, is available at Amazon.com. 
Here's author James Dunn to talk about his soon-to-be-printed next book. The King Philip's War in New England in 1675 defined the relations, for good or bad, between English settlers and Native Americans for centuries to come. Many of the battles are local to the Blackstone Providence area with long-forgotten memorials and grave sites. Smithfield was the Battle of Nipsichuk. The Battle of Sudbury in Sudbury, Mass. was a turning point. Mount Hope in Bristol, Rhode Island was the home of King Philip and the Wampanoag tribe. The Connecticut River Valley was a scene of many bloody encounters between the English and the Nipmuc tribe. South Kingston, Rhode Island, saw the Great Swamp Battle slash massacre. One Englishman stands out in this brutal conflict. He dared to learn to fight like the Indians did and won the war for the English. He was Captain Benjamin Church in the book, Captain Benjamin Church and the King Philip's War. Okay, welcome back to Dunsdale, part two now. So, I want to get into, you trust the government? And again, it's also, you trust the media? So, recently, we found out that the lab leak most likely, the lab leak most likely origin of COVID-19 pandemic, the energy department now says... The United States Energy Department has concluded that the COVID pandemic most likely arose from a laboratory leak, according to a classified intelligence report recently provided to the White House and key members of Congress. The shift by the Energy Department, which previously was undecided on how the virus emerged, is noted in an update to a 2021 document by the Director of National Intelligence Averill Hines' office. <clears throat> the new report highlights how different parts of the intelligence community have arrived at disparate judgments on the pandemic's origin. Remember everything we were ta- told about, that it came from bat soup, it came from a wet market in, in Wuhan, which was so, so ridiculously unlikely that it's incredible that they tried to sell that but some people still stick by that the energy department now joins the federal bureau of investigation in saying the virus likely spread via a mishap at a chinese laboratory Four other agencies, along with a national intelligence panel, still judge that it was likely the result of a natural transmission, and two are undecided. So some people are, are, well, I've got another article here that says, COVID-19 conspiracies soar after the latest report on origins. So this uh, is about eight pages, nine pages, ten pages. Of course, it's double space. It would normally just be five, but it makes for easier reading here. People are saying, "Oh, these conspiracy theorists! Oh, they they think that they've they've found the the source. They think that they know, and we don't know. Only two agencies see say that it it was a laboratory leak." Four say that it wasn't, and two don't know. So we don't know. That's 
Jimmy Kimmel's line. I mean, he's just a dumb comedian. I hate giving him any kind of credit. But he was saying he was making fun of conspiracy theorists going, we don't know. You can't know. Well, number one, do you really believe these spy agencies, whether it's the FBI? Well, the Energy Department isn't necessarily a spy agency. But do you really believe what they have to say? Remember those 51 former uh, spooks? former intelligence agents, uh, heads of intelligence departments that came out and said that Hunter Biden's laptop was Russian disinformation. I'm sorry. They said most likely it was Russian disinformation. So that gave Joe Biden the cover to dismiss the laptop as of uh, false information as Russian disinformation, and uh, it helped Biden get elected. Well, it helped him steal the election, let's put it that way. So, why believe anything that comes out of the government? And let's see. Oh, this is the AP article, the one about COVID 19 conspiracies soar after the latest reports on origins. COVID-19's origins remain hazy. Three years after the start of the pandemic, it's still unclear whether the coronavirus that causes the disease leaked from a lab or spread to humans from an animal. This much is known. When it comes to COVID-19, when it comes to COVID-19 misinformation, any new report on the virus's origin quickly triggers a relapse and a return of misleading claims about the virus, vaccines, and masks that have reverberated since the pandemic began. It happened this week again after the Energy Department confirmed that a classified report determined with low confidence that the virus escaped from a lab. Within hours, online mentions of conspiracy theories involving COVID-19 began to rise. They were saying that we were right all along. Oh, yeah, we were. (laughs) Even Alex Jones was right about this. And I've got a ton of articles here. I'm not going to read them all. because, yeah. But gain-of-function research on SARS virus uh, performed at U.S. lab with, with biocells from Fort Detrick. Fort Detrick is in Maryland. Dr. Francis Boyle uh, spoke about the SARS-like coronavirus. Dr. Francis Boyle is a uh, very well-known uh, uh, scientist, very well-known lawyer as well. He's, um, he's done work in The Hague. He's, he's worked at international agencies all over the place. Harvard graduate, uh, studied under Kissinger, but he didn't fall under Kissinger's um, you know, spell. He drafted the Biological Weapons Act of 1989. Let's see. Okay, so Nature Medicine announced in November 2015 that it had successful research on whether a bat coronavirus could be made to infect human cells. The scientific article makes it clear that the work they did was to increase the pathogenicity of original SARS by providing gain-of-function activity. The team behind behind engineered a hybrid virus that combined a bat coronavirus with a SARS virus adapted to grow in mice and mimic human disease, a hybrid virus that was able to infect human cells. This was written in 2015. This wasn't just a pandemic, it was a plandemic. Francis Boyle, we have an article here from NatMed 2015, December 21st. SARS-like cluster of circulating back coronavirus show potential for human emergence. 
This was at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill, which is Fort Detrick. They have a biosafety uh, lab level three there, and I have previously condemned them for using gain-of-function work on MERS, which is the Middle East Respiratory Syndrome. It is like SARS, only more dangerous. It has a 33% lethality rate, and they were doing gain-of-function work there to make it even more lethal. Well, it turns out, if you read the article, they admit that they were doing this with SARS, that they were giving it gain-of-function activity. The North Carolina lab got cells from Fort Detrick, which is the U.S. major facility for research, uh, development, testing, stockpiling of biological weapons. Fort Detrick is the U.S. equivalent important down so that where they got some of their cells. That sentence doesn't make sense. And they made it clear the work that they were doing was to increase the pathogenicity of the original SARS by making this gain-of-function activity. This gain-of-function activity was outlawed. It was moved out of uh, Fort Detrick. It was moved out of Chapel Hill. And it was moved to Wuhan. And there's plenty of, of news on this from mainstream reports. Let's see. Oh, I don't. I didn't write down what uh, what periodical I got that out of. News desk uh, ban on gain of function studies ends. So oh, isn't that good? <laughs> that was in twenty eighteen. It was outlawed 2014, 2015, sent overseas, and then in 2018, the ban ended. The secret history of Fort Detrick, the CIA's base for mind control experiments. Hmm. In 1954, a prison doctor in Kentucky isolated seven black inmates and fed them double, triple, and quadruple doses of LSD for 77 days straight. Hmm. Is that what Fort Dietrich does, huh? Maybe a little bit racist or, you know, doing experiments on prisoners? Uh, yeah. That's what they're doing. I mean, maybe they had some white guys in there, too, you know? White guys like LSD, too. Ah, uh, just ask John Lennon about that. Well, you can't because he's long gone. Uh, so, it's not a conspiracy theory to say that that there are mad scientists, can you say Fauci, who have been working on, on these viruses, on these biological weapons, and making them more lethal, and injecting them into the populace. So, again, do you trust the government? Do you trust the news media to tell you the truth? I mean, these were articles that I found in the news media. If you search, you can find it. But, you know, I mean... I believe that was an AP article that, that said that, um, you know, that that the Energy Department has finally said after three years. But you know what? Three years ago, I was reading this stuff about Fort Detrick. I was reading that Anthony Fauci, through the NIH, was funding... Uh, you know, gain of function research. He was funding biological weapons, and that the coronavirus was a biological weapon. And by the way, so is the shot. The best thing you can do is not get either one of them. And if you get the the virus, you know what? It's a cold. You'll get over it.
unless you're very, very elderly, if your immune system is already deficient, or, you know, if you've got comorbidities. Let's see. This is an interesting article. We'll just stay here and die, East Palestine residents grill railroad executives and the Biden administration. Public outrage boiled over Thursday night in the Ohio village where authorities caused a major public health crisis by torching massive quantities of vinyl chloride and other toxic chemicals following a train derailment last month. Uh, Norfolk Southern Executives and Environmental Protection Agency officials were repeatedly berated by outraged residents of Palestine, East Palestine, I think is a proper way, saying it during a community meeting regarding their continuing failure to address the public health crisis still affecting the uh, small village. After the meeting at East Palestine High School kicked off Thursday evening, EPA functionaries quickly attempted to placate locals by agreeing to a long-standing demand to instruct the railroad company to test for cancerous compounds known as dioxins. But the anger in the room boiled over within minutes, according to the media reports which describe a tumultuous scene. Why did you wait so long, one resident reportedly yelled at the EPA's regional administrator, Deborah Short. Uh. After Ohio EPA Director Ann Vogel insisted that tests on the water supply hadn't demonstrated any unsafe contaminant levels, another woman reportedly responded, what about private wells? We'll just stay here and die. Yet on this one thing that the EPA, whether it's Ohio or or the feds, have not done is they have not tested for the dioxins. They've tested for other things, but they have not tested for the dioxins, which are uh, cancer-causing. They can cause um, uh, miscarriages. They can cause... Um, uh, burst effects, and it's it's crazy. Again, you cannot trust the government, and ah, uh, brother, you can't trust the EPA. They are not testing for what is important there, and that will cause people to die, and it will contaminate the food supply as well. So you're going to have contaminated food coming out of there. When you buy a steak in a month or two, did it come from contaminated areas in Ohio? Same thing with if you buy chicken, if you buy eggs. Did it come from Ohio? Has it been contaminated with cancerous dioxins? A scientist slammed the Environmental Protection Agency for not testing for dioxins, a cancer-causing chemical that is no doubt in the environment of East Palestine, Ohio, as a result of the February 6th controlled detonation that was conducted in response to the train derailment. Actually, there wasn't a controlled demolition or a controlled uh, uh, fire. And if you want to think about what a controlled fire is, think of the combustion engine, your car. You have a controlled fire in there. The spark plugs fire up. They cause a spark. They, they, they ignite you know, a little bit of, of the gas, and that propels your, your car forward. But the fire, the explosion, is controlled. This fire was not controlled. It went out of control, and you had that huge plume going up, poisoning the air, the water, the land, the people. See, the derailment wasn't the problem. The problem was setting the material on fire. Incredible, isn't it? 
Stephen Lester, science director at the Center for Health, Environment, and Justice, told WKBN there is no doubt in his mind that dioxins were released during the controlled burn of vinyl chloride in East Palestine last month. Again, it was not a controlled burn. A controlled burn is in an incinerator that burns very, very hot and will break down the dioxins, and it'll be relatively safe after that. An open-air pit being on fire is not a controlled fire. Okay, the scientist said the EPA's decision not to test for a highly toxic chemical compound is a lame excuse and wrong. EPA Regional Director Deborah Shaw said the, the agency will not test for dioxins at this time. Yeah, people can just die. Dioxins are ubiquitous in the environment, as Shore said. They were here before the accident and they'll be here after. We don't have baseline information in this area to do a proper test. But we were talking <laughs> but we were talking to our toxicologist and looking into it. Oh, you know one of the problems with testing for the dioxins is they are very poisonous at a very minuscule level. I mean uh, I listened to a guy by the name of uh, Mike Adams, and he explains it. He, he's a scientist. Um, it's like fentograms or something like that. Something uh, a measurement I never heard of before because it's just too small. You know, <laughs> uh, I don't do science work, but I listen to people who do, and. Um, he was saying that it's incredible how small an amount of um, uh, of these dioxins can be killer. So um, basically what the government needs to do, instead of sending billions of dollars over to Ukraine, we should be sending billions of dollars to East Palestine because we're going to have to buy those people out, going to have to buy their farms. The land is going to have to sit fallow, you know, sit unused for probably 20 or 30 years. Any business there needs to be bought out at market value before uh, this accident happened. Um, the government doesn't want to deal with that. Except they'll send billions of dollars to that little slob there in uh, Ukraine that that can't put on a, a sh jacket and a tie when he comes to address the United States Senate. But always oh, got to look tough. He's battle ready. He's battle worn. He's always got his battle fatigues on. Ay 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 Incredible. But. You know, I do try to lighten things up at the end of of the show. And I don't know if this is really going to work as a, a, a lightening up type of thing. But uh, talking about not being able to trust the government. Do you remember a couple months ago, there was this uh, woman by the name of Nina Jankowitz. And she was going to become the, the disinformation czar at uh, the Department of Headline, Department of Homeland Security. Why Homeland Security needs a disinformation czar? Well, to censor people, of course. To, to shut down those right-wing uh, conservatives who keep on coming up with conspiracy theories like that the, the coronavirus came out of a, a laboratory. Uh, that Dr. Fauci has been working on uh, coronavirus for years and years trying to make it more lethal. Um, yeah, that's, that's the fact, Jack. But she would shut that down. Except she didn't get the chance, <sighs> thank God, because people found out about what they were doing and that the Department of Homeland Security wanted to censor 
the American people. Why not just throw the First Amendment completely out? Just make this, uh, uh, you know, 1984, George Orwell. Uh, no, we're not at war with East Asia, brother. We are at war with uh, Oceania. So anyhow, here is Nina Jenkins. Oh, oh, and the reason I bring her up is because she is suing Fox News for the fact that she didn't get the job. Not that there's any right to have a government job, but she's trying to claim that because Fox News showed the truth about what the Department of Homeland Security was doing, um, you know, that that she didn't get the position. So anyhow, running low on time, so, oh, I got to play it real fast. ducked a, a bullet when we did not get that person in office. Um, you know, any kind of office in, in the government. That's the problem with this government. So again, the theme of the show is, why do you trust the government? And uh, the parallel question, why do you trust the news media? And you know what? You don't even have to trust me. Do your own research. <laughs> Which, of course, the people in New York Times don't like for you to do. You know, that's dangerous if you do your own research. If you think for yourself, that can't be allowed. <laughs> so with that, enjoy the snow this weekend. is a Dunn's deal. Tell your friends and neighbors to tune in Friday evenings at 6.05 for Jim's perspective on the issues of the week. You're listening to WNRI Woonsocket.